utmost to uttermost. Who is it that the Lord Jesus lifts up? I don't care if their place of origin is a hovel or a palace compared to heaven's glory, to, compared to heaven's perfection, compared to heaven's righteousness, heaven's justice, we're all from the gutter. That's not very attractive, Mark. You know, Christianity, the, the message of Christianity is supposed to be winsome. It's supposed to be attractive. Well, it is. But if you don't have the proper diagnosis, you can't ever, you will never allow the proper treatment to embrace you. This is going to sound so strange. I remember hearing it for the first time myself. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was for 50 years the preacher, pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England. And I heard a quote from him in 1973. I can remember it as if it happened yesterday. I was in a class, and the, the new professor was still wet behind the ears. That's a long time ago, folks. He's now considered, he's on the verge of, because he's already got a worldwide reputation, <laughs> and all, but he didn't then. But he quoted D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the most important doctrine of Christianity is the doctrine of sin. And when I heard that, I recoiled. That can't be true. And the more I thought about it, no. It is true. The rest of the quote goes this way. The most important doctrine of Christianity is the doctrine of sin because it either gets you right or keeps you right on everything else because everything about God's remedy for us is based on the reality of who and what we are and the condition and position we are in. And he meets that need. Just a moment ago, we prayed for a man who is struggling in his marriage because anger is dominating him, and that does not have to happen. Because Jesus not only addresses the guilt of our sin, Jesus addresses the guilt of our sin? Oh, yes. When Jesus became a man, God the Son became a man, True God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person, fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. He's not half man, half God. He's fully God, fully man. And he went to a cross, the perfect lamb of God, sinless. His own enemies couldn't find one accusation. The people who hated him, who felt threatened by him, couldn't make one accusations stand but they demanded his crucifixion but it wasn't what the Romans did to Jesus that paid sin's penalty for us as awful as it was it was the invisible judgment that came from his father upon him taking our place so that there came that point when he could cry out from the cross, it is finished, it is paid in full. 
he completely solved the issue of the our sin debt. He paid it off. It is finished. It is paid in full. So all I have to do to find a welcome with the holy God, because Jesus solved the problem, is just accept it. Well, how good do I have to be to be qualified to accept? No, 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 no. You don't understand. It's your open willingness to admit your sinfulness, not your goodness, that qualifies you to receive that gift. Just like that thief crucified beside Jesus who said, I, I des- we, to the other guy, we deserve to be crucified. He's innocent. Except he wasn't waving his hand around because it was nailed down. He's innocent. We're guilty. We deserve this. Will you remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom? You will be with me this day in paradise. Why? Because Jesus had just solved this man's guilt problem before God completely, utterly. But, nasty thing we discover within 30 seconds of our coming to faith in Christ as we are still sinful. We are still sinners. Not in our standing before God. We're holy in our standing before God. But we still have the problem. We have this fallen nature, this sinful nature in us. And the Ephesians were just like us. They were from a, for the most part, a Gentile background with all of the paganism, all of the thinking that was, in fact, in defiance of the true and living God and all of the debauchery that was part of their culture and their religion. And Jesus had come to them in the power of his Holy Spirit through the speaking of earthen vessels called disciples, and they had come to faith. They had heard the message, and by the help of God's Spirit, they had received the gift. They'd been completely embraced by the Holy God. And now, God is, 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 as he tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he is making out of us a dwelling place, a new palace, a new temple called the church. And the foundation of that church is the apostles and New Testament prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And we're the building blocks. And, I, well, this is the 21st century, can we, so can we say we're on the 21st story of the, just picturing it in your own, we're on the 21st story, so we don't need foundation stones on the 21st story, but we still need gifts. We still need gifted men and women because it is through these gifted men and women that the edifice continues to be built and grow. And in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, as we read it, we, we have this description that we are, or, or, or encouragement, that we are to walk away. We're to walk in the incredible benefit that Jesus has created and this ongoing project of turning us into this wonderful dwelling place of God. So when God looks at us, and as I indicated last week, each local church 
if you bring everybody together properly and everybody's functioning according to their gifts and and, and the ability that the Holy Spirit has granted to them and the direction from his work, every local church should make one reasonable Jesus. Each local church. As we function all of us together. And we read that, that we might be fully functioning Notice uh, verses 15 and 16, which I've already read. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things and to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body join and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth when everybody's doing what they ought to be doing, believing God's word, walking in faith, walking in the gifts that God has given to each of us causes growth of the body for for the edifying of itself in love. A healthy human body, all of the organs, if they're all functioning properly, you've got a whole healthy body. If you've got one organ or one limb or one that's not functioning properly, it affects the whole body. So let's all get on the same good page, Paul is saying, of being instructed by God the Holy Spirit, believing the gospel truth fully, hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying through his word, and what's going to happen? The church, God, Christ's body, will grow. Now, beginning in verse 17... He's going to say, okay, now I've told you what to do. Let me remind you of what not to do. Because what is our default, folks? That's the biggest problem we have of being a people. We still, yes, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but here is this internal devil's advocate, my own fallen nature. Ouch. Yikes. I hate that. I'm looking forward to that day when I will be and the rest of you too, sanctified completely. We'll be standing there in resurrection bodies and our fallen nature will be a thing of the past. We will, without any restraint within us at all, be chasing after Jesus with a giant grin on our faces. Won't that be great? But in the meantime, we've got to keep stiff-arming our own fallen nature and the culture that surrounds us that is trying to drive us in every direction they, it can find. 360, there's 360 degrees of direction away from Jesus. And the world doesn't care which direction we go as long as it's away from Jesus. So the flesh, the world system, and Satan himself. And his primary tactic is, you're a piece of garbage. You are so worthless. I can't, do you really imagine that the holy God welcomes you, really? Yes, because Jesus said so, and Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, well, never mind. Did you know that you are so holy that you don't need Jesus? You are so great, says Satan. You don't really. God provisions. No, I am a fallen creature. 
God be merciful to me, a sinner. And we walk forward so the our own fallen nature is a default. The world system is out there pushing us in 360 d different directions. And Lucifer is there either condemning us or trying to build up our pride. Either one knocks the legs out from under us. And so beginning in verse 17, Paul is reminding the Ephesians, Christ, the Ephesian Christians, to not default to what they were, not default to their old culture, not default to their fallen nature. Because if we aren't intentionally walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be walking in the flesh. Following Christ is a choice that is made from one second to the next second to the next second. That's why it's called a walk. And one of the words you find over and over and over and over again in this letter is walk, 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 walk in unity, walk in love, walk in the light, walk in wisdom. I'm just reading the paragraph titles out of my Bible. Well, because we walk one step at a time one step at a time, one moment at a time, one moment at a time, one moment at a time. And it's very easy to, without realizing it, if you take your attention off that process, to suddenly find yourself astray. And you went, how in the world did I get here? Because you stopped paying adequate attention. You allowed the enemy to quietly give you a nudge and you weren't paying enough attention to realize it. <coughs> Ephesians 4.17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility, <coughs> the emptiness of their mind. Their way of thinking is futile. It's empty. It's vain. In the book of Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> one of the most famous statements is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And Solomon repeatedly, it's vain, it's vain, it's empty, it's empty. He's, he's examining the world system under the heavens as he's looking from the just the human standpoint. He's, and it's, it's all empty, it's empty. And one of the translations Instead of right, saying vanity of vanities, it says futility of futility. It's empty. It, uh, it takes you ultimately nowhere. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated, they can't think straight. They wander around, keep barking their shins on stuff because they're in the dark and they can't figure out why they didn't see these things. Well, you're in the dark. Being alienated from the life of God. And so they observe Christians experiencing the life of God and they can't figure out why it's not theirs. And again, part of the Sunday school class, this is advertising, Part of Bob's Sunday school class was people who 
couple of individuals that came to him and said, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. Just yesterday, I had her magnificent testimony of about a, a, a Christian man who was very close friends with an atheist. And they fished together all the time. Years they went, like on a weekly or monthly basis, they're fishing together. And the Christian guy is the one with the boat. And so here's a Bible in his boat. And he keeps trying to share the gospel with his atheist friend. And he says, go away, don't da da da. And finally, one day he noticed the Bible disappeared. The Christian man noticed the Bible disappeared. And within a couple days, his atheist friend came to him and he said, I can't believe I've been so stupid. I read the Bible and I've been so stupid. I was walking in futility. I thought I was smart and smarter. But no, I was in the dark. And all it took was opening a Bible and allowing it to speak to him for a couple of days. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, and we hear of the ugly, ugly, cruel, cruel, cruel things from around the world that are being especially done to God's people. And how can people do that? Walk around with heads that they've just chopped off, proudly carrying them. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Is Christ like that? No. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And so you think of you, well, I'm not, I've, I've read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and I'm not seeing that in my life. Well, maybe you're not seeing that in your life because you haven't really opened yourself up to hear from the authentic Jesus. Sitting in a church and going through religious stuff and even hearing words, if you're not open to hearing, even if those words are true, if you have ears of tin, it's not going to have an effect. So have you heard every single parent has done this? They've given instructions to their son or their daughter about how to do a certain task. And then when the task isn't carried out, they will go to that child and they will say, say these silly words. Didn't you hear me? Well, of course I heard you. But we're thinking heard, therefore obeyed. Well, see, that's how it is used in the Bible. There were Everybody at Mount Sinai heard the same Ten Commandments as far as striking the eardrums. But some of them had tin eardrums. They heard it, but they didn't obey it. They didn't walk in it. 
And so God could honestly say to them, you didn't hear me. Just as us parent, we parents <laughs> can authentically say to our child, didn't you hear me? But we're not talking about physical striking of the sound waves on the eardrums and getting into the brain cells. No, we're talking about obedience. So it's not just um, have you been exposed to the message, but have you, by the help of God's Spirit, tried to walk in the message. But you have not so learned Christ, e if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, by him. You know what, folks? If this is about coming to Friendship Bible Church so you can hear Mark Rylander preach, believe me, don't bother. Don't bother. But if you're coming to hear from Jesus as he uses a common clay vessel to shove his, his message through that common clay vessel, then there's hope for us. But that's why when we preach here, we do it out of the word, whether it's myself, Darren, Bob, whoever. It's out of God's word because God changes us. And he doesn't just give us the information. He gives, it, gives us the miraculous ability to do what otherwise we couldn't do. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus... But you have put off, but that you put off, this is what you need to do, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, the fallen nature, which grows corrupt according to the, to the deceitful lusts. So you, your default is to walk in your fallen nature. Don't do default. Walk in the spirit. And you have to do it on purpose. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. As you're about to, gentlemen, as you're about to have a conversation with your wife, Lord, help me to act, to hear this as you would, and to respond as you would. And ladies, as I'm about to have a conversation with my husband, help me to hear him as you would and to respond as you would. And with friends and with all personal relationships and every encounter we have in the job world, everything. You ask for God's help. And if you are authentic in your asking, he will give you the help. It is as simple as that. I hope this doesn't heap. No, I, I take that back. I hope it does. Uh, I hope it heaps all kinds of guilt on you. If you realize that the reason you failed, when you failed in your in formerly in your Christian life, it's because you chose it. Now, there is a learning curve where you have to learn, where you come to faith in Christ and you have to learn how to not walk in the flesh but walk in the spirit. There is a learning curve, but it's really simple. Lord, Help me to act like you and show me through your word what that means.
What did Jesus say? I've given you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide well in you and live through you, empower you. But you have not so learned Christ, even if indeed you have heard of him heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind learn to see things differently get your mind right and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. One of the most powerful aspects of an authentic witness is when people who have known you keep watching you after you've come to faith in Christ and they're finally compelled to come and say, you have changed, you're not the same, tell me. What happened? Even though they left to themselves, don't want anything to do with it, God the Holy Spirit has opened their minds and hearts to come and ask that question they don't want to ask. But that's the evidence of God the aggressive Holy Spirit pursuing them. Therefore, verse 25, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for you are members of one another. Yeah, I can remember as a, there was a skill that I thought I had, and I was really good. I was, thought I was a really good liar. When I was a little kid, I thought I was, I mean, I thought I was really proud of my lying ability. Until I was about eight, and my mom, I said, I said a lie to my mom. And she looked at me and she said, why do you always lie? And I'm like, she's known yikes I'm not good at this at all put away lying putting away lying <coughs> let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for you're members of one another just as the organs of your own body you want them all to work in coordination with each other to complement one another's functions don't mess with another member of the body by lying you you affect the entire body including yourself be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Wait, 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 wait. I thought anger was an aspect of the fallen nature. Let me tell you, there is such a thing as righteous indignation, right, truly righteous anger. God is full of it. He is fierce. He is, very, he is angry with the sinful world every day, the Bible says. The difference between God and us is he doesn't have a fallen nature, so he can be angry authentically and not overdo anything in his anger he is totally just and righteous when he does move according to his anger we're not that way 
Anger is a very dangerous emotion, and the only one who can always be in authentic control of it is God. We're not God. And so while you may be, for example, we prayed for the persecuted church. We have prayed for our brothers and sisters that they would be defended, that God would defend them, that God would make them bold, but that God would defend them. But also, what is our temptation? Lord, you kill their persecutor. I mean, you just go ahead and... No, I don't think so. Yes, some of them. But what ought our prayer to be? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. The man who became the Apostle Paul was the biggest persecutor of the church in Judea in his day. And God completely turned him around. And here is the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus becomes the Apostle Paul. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but the, uh, it's a very dangerous emotion, so discipline yourself to put it away. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. There comes a point where you have to say, I've got to put this emotion away. Nor give place to the devil. Don't even give a tiny toehold to the devil. Don't, don't think I can compromise just a little bit. No. You can't compromise even to the tiniest degree with the enemy. Let him who stole, stop it. Steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Instead of being a thief, be a giver. Let no corrupt word, watch your speech, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, and for necessary edification, for building other people up, that it may impart grace, enablement, strength, fortification to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You know, it's a very interesting. I would suggest you read the closing parts of John chapter 14 and then in ch to chapter 15 of John's gospel where Jesus says, I'm going to, the Holy Spirit has been with you, apostles, and he has done mighty, I mean, they did miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit who was with them. He is going to be in you. And oh, by the way, the Father and I will also make our dwelling place within you if you walk in obedience. But the Holy Spirit, if you're walking in disobedience and you're an authentic believer, but you've walked into a, an, an, a time of disobedience, the Holy Spirit's kind of stuck with you, except he can be a pretty fierce resident. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells within you.
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The, pr- the most powerful proof that you are an authentic believer and that day of ultimate redemption when you will stand before in the presence of God in, as we read from Revelation, when you will stand before his throne in worship, what's the down payment on that? The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Let all bitterness, which is the old default, which is the flesh, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is arguing, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and the maliciousness that comes from it. And be kind to one another. If there's ever a thing, that I, an attribute that I would say God's people are most in need of is simple kindness. And I'm holding my hand up on that. Kindness. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How dare I refuse to forgive another sinner when look at what God has forgiven me. Be what I've described, Paul says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Don't be the old default. Don't be the old default. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that you may be building one another up and that the world may be forced to stand back and say, surely that's what Jesus looks like. Our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to confess to you every time we defaulted and walked as we did when we were unbelievers. And thank you that you have cleansed us, that that same blood of Christ shed for us, that made us welcome, keeps us welcome before you. As the Holy Spirit says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, my little children, these things I write to you that you might not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the satisfaction for our sins, the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. We're so thankful that you've made provision for us we ask that you will keep this before us to ask for your help to walk in your strength. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We ask that you would 
keep that before us, that we would actually ask for your help to do what you say to do. And if we're authentic, it will be there. We'll have a screaming, non-compliant, fallen nature, but it will be off to the side with this power broken. We thank you for the resource you've given us of the presence of the Holy Spirit that we might act like Jesus and be servants of one another. We give you thanks for this in your name and all to your glory, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and turn in our hymnals to number 600.